Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Heights. For those of you who don't know me, my name is David, one of the pastors here, and I've got the honor to preach to you guys this morning. Welcome to everyone streaming. Man, I've been like pumped to preach this all week. Like it's it's kind of like this whole text sort of wrecked me and just really hit me hard. I mean, so much so, and I don't like admitting this because I try to come off across is pretty tough. I told the first service, like, I joke around, like, I, I don't want anyone, like, to see me kind of, like, in, in a soft way. I'd rather, like, you, like, see me in my garage, like, you know, lifting weights. Like, that's what I, I that's where I want you to see me. Like, oh, yeah, David, he's lifting weights. He's, he's strong and stuff. But, man, like, just driving here. I only live, like, eight minutes from here. But just driving in this morning, just, like, thinking through the gospel, it just wrecked me. Like, I was, like, crying, just driving eight minutes, like from 159 to 157. It just, so much like, I didn't know who was in here. So I was like, man, I don't even know who's in here yet. I'm just gonna go sit over by the pavilion for a second and like gather myself. And then God just kept wrecking me. And then finally I, I you know, could like dry the tears and I came inside. And I just share that with you because as we go through this text today and we're in this series, the Corinth Q&A, and we're asking a question each week from the text. I think this week just, I think the reason it hit me is because, like, the reality of what we're getting ready to lay out. Like, this idea of our works being burned up and, and reward or suffering, loss, like, there's a lot there. And so the question and, and the big idea for the text then today, the sermon, is if God is sovereign, then does it really matter what I do? So if God is in control of every last thing in this world, there's nothing that is out of his control. He's sovereign over every detail of our lives. There's nothing that slips through his fingers. Then why would it matter what I do with this life? And so I want to show you why we kind of pulled that question from this text. And, and here's why, because as you read through it, and we started in verse five when Jessica was reading, he talks about what, is, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. So you see God's sovereignty there. He's assigning to them each their role and what they do. As we go on, it says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Only God can save. Only God can sanctify you. Only God will one day glorify you at the end of time when you stand before him. And we're going to talk about that. And again, he goes on and he says in verse seven, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's God who is doing all things. He is using us as a vessel to accomplish his will. If you are a born again believer, if you are a Christian, if God has saved you and his spirit dwells in you, he is using you then to accomplish his ultimate will, which is to see disciples made of every nation, and one day we will praise him for all of eternity. So that's why we're asking this question. If he's sovereign then, and he's in control, then why does it matter how I spend my life? Like, he saved me. Thank God I'm going to heaven. Like, it's all good. But everything you do, here's the answer why it matters, because everything you do either glorifies God which should be the chief aim of every Christian's life, to glorify God with all that you do, all of your resources, and all of your time. 
But if you're not doing that, then what you're doing is you're either glorifying yourself, someone else, or something else. Like you're working towards some type of other glorification of something that does not matter at all. Like if you're aiming to glorify yourself, it is fruitless. There is no reason for it because it will not produce any good fruit. Now this text, it gives us a lot of insight into what we do and why we should do it and why it matters. And it's, I feel like it's so important for us just to really process. And, and I just really want God to speak through me. So we're just gonna take a second, we're gonna pray, and then we're just gonna, we're gonna dive in. So let me pray for us, pray for myself. God, and your gospel is something that should just absolutely shatter us. It should wreck us. And so Lord, I pray that because your gospel, the power, your power to save has impacted me, has changed me from dead in my sins to alive in you, Jesus. I pray that today, Lord, as your vessel, you will speak through me, that you'll use me. God, I pray for the hearts and the minds and the souls of everyone in this room, those watching online. God, that for those of us that are believers, you just continue to shape us into the likeness of your son because of your word. And then for those who do not yet know you as their savior, God, I pray that your spirit woos them into a relationship with you and that they will place their faith in you. And then they will have that firm foundation that is you, Jesus. So I pray this all in your glorious name. Amen. All right, so the big idea, like I said, is if God is sovereign, does it really matter what I do? And so I don't have points for this sermon. I slipped up backstage before the first service and I said, my sermon doesn't have a point. And they're like, then why are you getting up there preaching? I'm like, no, it has a point. It's just, we're not gonna do points. So what we're gonna have is like two slides and we're gonna leave them up for a second. There's just some key components I want you to have if you're a note taker that you can put on your notes as you're going. And then I'm gonna... We're gonna talk about them throughout the rest of the sermon. Does that make sense? So on the first slide, you're gonna see three points or three key components is God is sovereign in our salvation and in our service to him. Okay, so he's sovereign, not just in our salvation, but he's sovereign in how we serve him as well. He has gifted each of us a particular way. He has wired you a certain way. He is sovereign in that. We'll, we'll talk about it through the text. Then next, everything we do should be to the glory of God. There's, that's not always easy. We would like to do that, but that's, and that's the goal. But that's what we should be aiming for, is to do everything to the glory of God. And then next, and these are going to stay on the screen for a second. The foundation for every believer and every church must be Jesus and him crucified. It has to be. Like if there's anything else that we're trying to build our foundation on other than Jesus, it is, as we saying, sinking sand. It will crumble. It will not last. It will not matter in the end. So those are the first three things that you need to just have written down. Then next is this, and we can put these back up if anyone doesn't have them. A day is coming that not only will non-believers be judged, but also Christians will be judged. That's what this text tells us. And I have some, some, that is not something that we normally think about, Christians being judged. We just think, in glory with Jesus, we're in eternity, it's all good. Like, we're not gonna get questioned because the blood of Jesus covers us. And yes and amen, it does. But there's still, from this text, what we're seeing is that there is a real judgment that we still have to answer for the things that we have done and not done. But... The other thing you need to write down is this, the judgment for the Christian is not a judgment of salvation. 
Thank God that it is not, because if we were being judged off our works, we know none of us would make it in because our good deeds are of filthy rags. And so the judgment for the Christian is not a judgment of salvation. And then lastly, you can write this in your notes if you're taking notes. Turn first to the Holy Spirit in all that you do. Because one of the things you may wonder throughout this time together is, well, how do I know if I'm doing things for the Lord and building with gold, silver, and precious stones? Or how do I know if I'm building wood, straw, and hay that's going to be burned up? Well, seek the Holy Spirit. That's what we talked about last week when Pastor Corey preached, is that there's a spiritual wisdom that we are to gain, not earthly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, because that's going to be worthless. It doesn't take us anywhere. It just kind of leads us wandering to whatever is cool and what's trendy and what we think we should do. That's not good at all. So we can leave those on the screen as I tell you this. There's a couple things I don't want you to hear me say today because I don't want you to leave here confused thinking I said something that I did not say. I am not telling you to do more. I'm not telling you to work more. Don't leave here thinking, well, I just need to do more. You don't need to do more. You need to do quality work for the Lord. That he knows that your intent, your heart was bent towards him and glorifying him. That's what you need to do. That's it. Like, don't hear me say, do more, because we don't earn our salvation. We don't work for that. Now, it is important, like it's quality over quantity. That, that's, that's important, but it's not how you earn your salvation because you can't earn it. Jesus has taken care of all of it by dying on the cross. Now, if you're here today or watching online and you profess to be a believer and you are doing nothing, then guess what? You need to do more. That's simple because you're called to do things. God, as we read in Ephesians 2 with the assurance of pardon, he has prepared good works for you to walk in before the beginning of time. And so if you're doing nothing, you're just sitting here consuming then that's a problem. Like, you're not doing anything. You're, you're not even, there's nothing. There's not even wood, straw, and hay. You're just doing nothing, and that's, that's a dangerous thing. I say that with love. I don't, but hear me again, not do more. And then next, what I don't want you to hear is that certain jobs or assignments are more valuable than the other. Like, whatever God has called you to do, However he has wired you, however he has gifted you, wherever he has placed you is by his sovereign hand and know that you are just as valuable in the kingdom of God as everyone else. Like we all have a role to play. We cannot, I can't, I can't do anything that they do on this stage. I can't run sound. I can't. Like I know my spot, I know my role. That's it. So we have those key components. We kind of have the things I didn't want you to think I said. So let's just dive in. So chapter three, Paul's laying out this whole argument here about building upon the foundation that is Jesus and him crucified. But they, this is not separate from the first two chapters because in the first chapter, he really hits about the Christ being the wisdom and the power of God. That the, what is salvation? And that's what we had Corey preach about when we were in the park service, if you were there. He answered the question of what is the gospel? And how God did what seemed foolish to the world to have Jesus die on a cross in our place, that doesn't make sense to the world. That's not how the world works, and yet that's the gospel. And then what we see in chapter 2 then is how that we need to seek the Spirit for wisdom. God has given every single believer the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so we seek 
him. We seek wisdom. We don't look to the things of the world to know what we should do. And so then when we get to chapter 3, he's kind of frustrated with them. I mean, the church of Corinth is a mess. And so he's telling them, hey, brothers, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. This is verse 1. We didn't read this earlier. I just want to hit on it fast. I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still in the flesh. They were fighting amongst themselves over who followed Apollo, so who followed Paul, and who did this, and who was doing that. They were so concerned with silly things that did not matter. And he's trying to warn them, you have a more important job to take and to build upon the foundation which Paul had laid, which is Jesus. And they're arguing over stuff that does not matter at all. And because of it, they were stunting their growth in Christ. They were just lagging behind from where they should be. And so then Paul goes on. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. That's what it's about right there. Like, Paul understood his role. He understood what he was supposed to do. He says, I planted in Paulus water, but God gave the growth. He knew that God was sovereign. He knew that God was at work and that God was going to do what God is supposed to do and, and give the growth so that people become saved. He knew he couldn't save anyone. And so they would be like me if thinking that I could do it all if I was out there in an orange vest greeting you and doing parking when you pulled up. And then as soon as you come in, you see me sprinting past you and taking the vest off, and I'm greeting you when you come in as the hospitality team. Then I'm sprinting over to the coffee, making sure there's coffee and creamer and cups and all that laid out. And then I'm trying to go back there and do sound, which I would mess that up really quick, and run slides, and I'm up here. We would just have to play some, like, some tracks off Spotify or something if, we, if I was going to do music, because I can't sing and I can't, I can't even keep the beat. So, like... It would be a mess because I, I don't need to do other people's roles. I, don't, I just need to do what my role is and trust that God is sovereign in all of it. And then do what I'm called to do according to his will and for him, not for my own glory, not for me. It's about him. See, we each are fellow workers. That's what he tells us in this text. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We together are the church. It is not this building here. It is us, Heights Community Church. We are God's church here in Collinsville with a very distinct God-given vision and, and plan for us as a church. That's who we are. That's, that's what we do. Like we move forward then with that, not worrying about, man, I sure wish I was on this team instead of that team, or I would like to be, I don't want to serve in infants. I want to serve here. I, you know, I want to do in this. Man, and just on a, a note with that too, like when you think about that, like, we get to then build on what each other is doing. You get to. If you're part of Heights community, you should be getting into a missional community. Like, we, we talk about it every single week. And so then the, the beauty of that is, is, well, we got 150 plus kids back there, and we're building upon a foundation. Like, the gospel foundation is getting laid every single Sunday back there. Every single Sunday night with students, the gospel foundation is getting laid. Now, God is the one that gives the growth, right? He, he takes hold and he saves kids, he saves students, he saves adults. But then if you're serving in kids or you're serving in students and you get to build upon that foundation with gospel-centered things, gold, silver, 
and precious stones. But not just if you're serving in there. You get to do so in your missional communities. You get to interact with these kids, not just when your name comes up on the rotation on the kids' duty, which everyone in your missional community should do. You don't get an out because you don't like being with kids. Everyone serves in kids in missional community when your time comes up. That's how it works. But guess what? From six to seven, when you're sharing a meal together, when you're talking and, and the kids are just doing their thing, like that's your opportunity to interact with them. Build upon that foundation and just inter- let them know that you see them. Let them know that they're not just there. It's like part of what has to happen because this is the model we follow or that they're just coming because their parents are there. Let them know that they matter and that they care because then we're building upon a foundation that is Jesus. And you have a role to play in that. Every single one of us has a role to play. It doesn't matter if you're planting or if you're watering or whatever you do. But if I have to admit, in my sinfulness, there was a time early on in ministry as I would, you know, be trying to witness to someone and share the gospel with them and and try to see them come to know Jesus, that I would get a little bit like, I don't know, just aggravated if someone else led them to Christ. I'm like, really, God? I've been investing all this time in this person and then that person gets to lead them to Christ and they like talk to him one time. What the heck? Like what is going on? It makes no sense. And that was just me and my selfishness. It was me wanting to get the glory. There would be no reward for that. That would be just me being kind of a jerk. But Paul, he's laying out that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Check out verse 10. I want to really just build upon this whole idea, like it does not matter your role. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, so he understands that the role that he has is by the grace of God. Like a skilled master builder, I, Paul, laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. So he's saying, I laid that foundation but someone else is doing the discipling. Someone else is pointing them to the more solid food type things. He did not care who was discipling them as long as someone was. And so for us as a church, like we cannot worry about what we're doing or what we're not getting to do. Like just faithfully serve the Lord and how he's gifted you and wired you and where he's placed you. Like just be 100% bought into that. Because Paul, he, he wasn't worried about that. He wasn't bitter. He just wanted to see the foundation laid and then he wanted to see it built upon. But he warns them, hey, take care how you do it. It matters. Like we can't have you just building with anything. We want you to build with the right stuff, gold, silver, and, and precious stones in a sense because those will pass through the test of time. So God is assigning to each of us our role and what we're supposed to do. So yeah, it matters what we do in this life because God is calling us to it. And in 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll eventually get to, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we, are all, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. We all have a role. I hope that you understand that and that you buy into where God has placed you. So I wanna encourage you like to serve. Serve God to his glory. But then there's that caution. As you're serving God to his glory, we gotta make sure that our motives stay right. Because he says, let each one take 
care. For no one can lay a foundation, this is verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than with that which is laid, which is Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, straw, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day with a capital D, that's important to not miss, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So we have gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. It's in descending order of value. They all have value, especially back in these biblical times. Like they all had value. They, they still do. Like you're not gonna go just get hay for free. Like you still gotta pay for that. Go down to Royal King, find out. Like it costs money to get it. Like you have to have that. It's all good, but the, the reality is, is when it's tested by fire, only the gold, silver, and precious stones will remain. Wood's gonna burn up, hay's gonna burn up, straw's gonna be burned up. And so there's this very real reality that as we build upon the foundation that is Jesus, that we could build with the wrong things. And I think part of the problem is that we've sort of just let what our foundation is shift. And if you're a believer, you can't. Like you, you are, a, if you truly are a Christian, your foundation is Christ, but we try to carve out a part of the foundation and make it ours. And then we're gonna build upon it that way. But if you're truly a Christian, you're building upon it, but you can build on it with the wrong things. Warren Wearsby writes this. He says, a ministry may seem successful for a time, but if it is not founded on Christ, it will eventually collapse and disappear. Now the very same could be said for a person's life. If you're really just kind of faking it, it'll eventually show. Now, I think there's churches out there who at one point their foundation was on Jesus, but they got so off track and their foundation became traditions. Why do you think we see so many churches close their doors each week? All across North America, because they did not keep Jesus as their foundation. Now, I want you to hear me. Like, this is serious. I don't think this is something we can take lightly. We can just, just shrug off because these next few ver verses, there's a lot to cover, but there's a day of judgment that is coming for the believer as well as the non-believer. And so if there's this day that is coming, well, our, maybe our first inclination is to think this. I'm saved by grace, not by works, right? Like we talked about it. We just... Pardon, or assurance of pardon says it. And so my work's not being sufficient. That's the point. It's no big deal because my, I'm, I'm not sufficient, but Christ is sufficient. So why should I worry about my works being burned up? Like, why would it matter? And that is true. But I think the evangelical church has done a bad job at really talking about what this judgment looks like. So if we look to Revelation 20, we can see a better idea of what this looks like. So I'm gonna read to you guys from Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. It says, this is John writing. Then I saw a great white throne and him, that's Jesus, who is seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So it is, whoa, you're right, <laughs> for sure. 
You should take it really serious. He knows. There's two different judgments that are happening here. Like we have to like, we will glance past that. I have a million times. It says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books, multiple books were open. Then another book, which is the book of life. Now that book that would have the name of every single believer who's ever professed faith in it. That means you're sealed, you're done. Like God wrote your name in that book before time even began because he knew he was gonna save you. He predestined that. But it says, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Then it bumps on and it says, death and Hades gave up the dead. So that means the people who have died who are not in Christ, then they were judged by what they had done. Do you see that? Like there is a judgment from the books. Now thank God that when the books get open and, and you start to look at your life like on this jumbotron of things and it's like scrolling past and Jesus is sitting there and watching and he's and there's like your works are burning up. Thank God that the book of life was open before he judges you in that because your name's there. And though it's not gonna be pleasant because it says you suffer loss, you're still saved. You're still saved. Through fire, so some of us might be smelling a little smoky up there, but we're gonna be there. Like we're gonna be there and it's gonna be okay, but we're still gonna suffer loss. And I don't think we should just take that like, eh, who cares? I'm saved by grace. Like that should matter to us. So this day then that Paul's writing about in chapter 13 or chapter three, verse 13, I think it's the same day. I think it's the same day. Like you're kind of having to connect the biblical dots here. So we're saved by grace, but yet our works are going to matter because he's going to judge us on them. Man, everyone as a believer wants to stand before Jesus one day and be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Like you should want that. If you don't, like, and you're just like, eh, I don't care, then I, like, let's talk. Like, let's set up a time and get coffee and talk because like, there'd be an issue. If you, you're like, I don't, I don't really care what God thinks. I'm just glad I'm saved. Like, I want to talk to you for real because there's some stuff we got to work out. But we also need to care about like what we do with our lives. Like Jesus died, not just so we could spend eternity with him, but also so that we could glorify his name to the ends of the earth. Like, so there's a reason why we do what we do. And the text is very clear that one day, like there's going to be a manifesting, a disclosing, a revealing of all the work that we have done. And, and then it's going to be tested by fire. And so I was like, well, what does that look like? Like, is it like ran through a conveyor belt? And I thought, nope, let's just go back to the Bible. Revelation 19, 12. It, John sees Jesus coming. And this is what he says, that his eyes are like a flame of fire. So this omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is going to read this book of works and it's, he's going to see it with these fiery eyes and the things that were no good of wood, straw, and hay burned up and gone. And we're going to suffer loss. It's not just going to be a well. We're going to suffer loss. Still saved, it says, but as through fire. Now I want to give you like some just like real life illustrations, try to like maybe help you grasp this, okay? And so Corey and I were talking earlier in the week and I was like, man, I really want to like illustrate this well and it's kind of where we landed. If I called Corey tomorrow and like, hey man, I really want my office painted. I'm kind of tired of this like off white and I, I've got some paint. Would you, would you go paint my office? And he's like, I got you, dude. And just click, hangs up, gone. And I'm like, well, 
I had like some explanations, some instructions, the things I'd like for you to do and how you to paint it. So I show up, or Corey shows up and there's two cans. There's a blue can of paint and a red can of paint. And Corey paints my whole office red because he loves red. I don't know, does he love red? No, but today in my imaginary story, Corey loves red. So he paints my whole office red and I show up and I'm like, Dude, you did an amazing job. Like, you cut in everything perfect, and you didn't get any paint on the floor. You covered everything. You did great. But um, it was only supposed to have one red wall. It's supposed to be an accent wall. And you painted it. I wanted it, the rest of it blue. So his work would have been wasted, burned up, gone, because we'd have to paint the other walls back to the blue. Like, we'd have one good wall that we could use. That would be it. And here's the beauty of it for our lives. Like, Jesus can use the wood, straw, and hay for his, for his glory, but it's going to get burned up for us. Like, there's no reward for it. He's like, he's, God uses the wood, straw, and hay works of the unbeliever for his glory. But it's not going to result in any type of reward for them. And so Corey could do that, and it would be great that he did it, but he didn't stop and seek any instruction or answers or what am I supposed to do? And so when we take off running, thinking we know exactly what to do for the Lord, which I have been guilty of throughout ministry, just like, I can get this done. I'm gonna go do it. I know what has to happen. We saw it happen in a, another real life way. Like this literally did happen. It's not make-believe with Corey painting my office. As we were remodeling this building, as we shrunk down the kitchen, so there's a kitchen back there, if you didn't know that, um, just on the other side of that wall, as we were shrinking that down, the carpenters built the wall in the wrong spot. And I show up and I'm like, no, nope. Because I mean, I was on top of everything. I was like, Corey just finally said it because I was trying to like, I didn't know if I was allowed to say this word in the first service. Corey goes, you're just kind of anal about everything here. So I was like, oh, I didn't know if I could say that while I was preaching. So yeah, I was like super anal. So I caught that, that they built the wall in the wrong place. And they're like, well, what do you want us to do? I was like, what do you think I want you to do? I want you to move the wall to where it goes. This door here is bigger than your normal door. They framed it to a regular size door. Same thing. Guys, that door's wrong. We need a bigger door so we can bring stuff out here on stage. Well, you want us to fix it? Yep, I do. And they had to do that and other things that they messed up. And my point being is like, they fixed it for free. They just had to take care of it. Like they had to do that. Like there was no choice in it. They fixed it for free. So their work was just kind of gone. It was wasted. So all those hours that they spent doing those things of no use. And so if we are doing things in this life that are of no use or no reward to us, the cool thing is, is that Jesus saw our mistakes before time began. He paid the price for that with his blood. And he can still use it, but we don't get a reward when our selfish intent was what drove us to do what we did. See, he paid the ultimate price so that we could do all these things for him. He left his throne, but one day he's going back to that throne and he's going to judge us. And I think we sometimes just flippantly go through this life like it does not matter what we do. And I, guys, I want you to hear so much like we have an opportunity to act out on the things that he has prepared before time for us to walk in. But you might be thinking right now, man, David, I'm not sure where the loss is. I mean, I've tried pretty hard to do the right thing and what I'm supposed to do. And I'm just really thankful for grace and I'm gonna be in eternity. So what's the loss? And I'm glad you asked. For the issue, the issue here for the Christian is not about heaven or hell. It's about reward or no reward. So if we connect the biblical dots, like I said earlier, like we're going to have to go back to the garden for a second. When God created Adam and Eve, they were perfect. There was no sin until chapter three of the Bible, right? So like the, every emotion that we have is God-given emotions. 
You were meant to be able to feel sadness and grief and all these things like that. Those, those were normal emotions that God can give you and you can feel them without being in sin. Okay, tracking with me? All right. So if we have this day that is coming that we read about that in Revelation 20, then we're gonna get judged. If you go back another chapter, what we can know that has happened is the marriage supper of the lamb, meaning that Jesus has consummated the marriage with the bride, us, the church. So that means our salvation at that point is finished. There's justification. The moment you profess faith in Jesus, you are justified before God. Throughout your whole life, then you're being sanctified, made more into the likeness of Jesus. When you are standing before him at this marriage supper of the lamb, great feast, you're glorified. You're no longer any sin. You're now the perfect version of you that you're meant to be in Christ, covered by his blood, his righteousness on you. That's why you're that way. So now, back to these emotions. You're standing now on that day being judged for your works, knowing that you're saved because your name's in the book of life, and you're watching works be burned up that you thought you did for the Lord. And you can perfectly feel every emotion. Would there not be sadness? There should be. We should be ashamed of ourselves that God gifted us, resourced us, and prepared the works for us to walk in. And he's almost like you would say to your kid, man, I love you, but we gotta talk about this. I, got, I love you, but man, this wasn't what I wanted for you. You really got off track. Because he loves us and our name's in that book of life, but he's gonna like, hey, what happened here? And, and there's gonna be a, a judgment. And so we're gonna lose out on reward that we could get because Revelation tells us that we're going to have rewards given to us, that we're gonna have crowns we're gonna throw back at the feet of Jesus. And so you're gonna see all your work, maybe, or some of your work burned up because you chose it to do it your way or to honor yourself, to glorify heights maybe instead of to glorify God. Like, he, will, he knows that. You, I, here's the thing, I don't know your intents. I don't know your motive. I don't know your heart behind why you serve or why you do ministry or why you're missional in your life, but Jesus does. But, and so you will have to face that. But then here's the other reality of it is in our perfect emotions and knowing that our name is in the book of life and you see all the areas where you fell short, the immense joy that you will feel when you realize how sinful we were and yet he saved us in spite of it. I mean, that should just blow us away. And so it's not this is all that's gonna be bad, but we're still gonna suffer loss, it says, but yet we're gonna be able to, in that suffering loss, be like, okay, but God is good and he saved me. And so there's going to be some of us, man, just getting there and it's almost like he's just kind of cutting some things away and it's gonna hurt a little bit. Now, what I wanna hit on really fast because we live in a very Catholic culture in the St. Louis area. This is not purgatory. I just wanna hit that real fast and, and here's why. I don't have a full time to explain it, but the Bible's really clear that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no other place. Like you're, if, you're, if you're a Christian and you die, you're with Jesus. And yes, this day is coming to be judged, but that's at the end of time. And so please hear me like, you're not getting there and, you're, and you gotta get some sins burnt off. Jesus's work on the cross was all sufficient, okay? He took care of all of us. This, that's not what this is talking about. And I, I wanna be really clear with that. Just, I don't know who all is here and, and what you may think or believe. So a few different things then as we start to kind of come towards the end. 
Maybe you're asking, well, how do I know if I'm building with gold, gold silver, and precious stones? Well, God knows. I don't. I, I can't judge why you do things. That's not my place to do that. I just need to point you to Jesus and keep reminding you of the gospel. But God knows. And so I would just ask you then, have you sought the Lord? Have you prayed and asked him? As Corey talked about last week, we can seek the spirit, we can seek his word, and then we can seek God's people. And when those things line up and maybe people are affirming giftings they see in you, and then you can see in God's word, like, yes, this is something I should be doing, and you're praying about it, yeah, then I need to walk in that. I need to walk in that. That's what God's calling me to do. Some things are just common sense, right? Like if you see someone that you, like, that you can help, you help them. Like those are the things that we do. Like, so you, you have to pray. I can't tell you if you're, what you're building with, but you have to pray and seek God. I think that's the biggest thing. And this applies to me as well. Like there's been weeks like, man, did I spend enough time in prayer? Did I just get up here on my own ability to stand up there and, and talk? Then the next question be is, what is the reward and what will it matter in heaven? When I mentioned earlier, the crowns that we'll get to throw at the feet of Jesus, Revelation 4.10 tells us we're gonna cast crowns before the throne. Man, guys, we get to crown the king. We get to crown him with crowns. Like we get to throw our crowns at his feet. I don't wanna stand there empty-handed before the king of the universe and have nothing to offer. And so you should not wanna go there and just be like, I got in, I got in. And that's sort of what it says. I mean, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's like you just got through, got through. And like I said earlier, smelling real smoky, like you've been in a bonfire, but you're there, you're there. But that's not how we should want it to be. So if I'm gonna be saved, but what if I wasn't a Christian very long? Like maybe some of you guys know some people who like, they, they got saved towards like the end of their life. So like, what does that like do? Is, are they, is it really just work that easy that they're just a Christian? Yeah, it does. It really does. Like Matthew 20, Jesus tells a parable about people going out to the field. The master sends them out at different hours. And the last person who goes out to the field, he's the first one to get paid and he gets paid the same as everybody else. And the guy who went out to the field first kind of ticked. He's like, hold on a second. And Jesus is like, well, the master, but it is Jesus. He's like, the last gets paid the same as the first. It doesn't matter if you were a Christian for a day or 90 years. Like, you're getting the same ultimate reward, which is eternity. Now, the thief on the cross, he wasn't saved for very long. So he has no reward probably waiting for him in heaven, but he's there. I think like Ananias and Sapphira in, in Acts 5, that they saw that Barnabas had sold property and gave all the money, all the proceeds to the church. And so they sell some property, but they lie about how much they sold it for and they pocket some of it and then give the rest of the church. They both got struck dead right there where they stood over that. God judged them right there. But who's to say they weren't Christians? I don't know. They would have no, no there's no reward for their behavior for sure, but they may be there. King David, he's a man after God's own heart, but yet we see that he had an affair with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. There's no reward for that segment of his life, but there's many other things that he probably will be rewarded for. Like that's what we have to understand is like God is going to reveal everything. You're gonna have to answer for it. And I don't say this like in a negative way, but I want you to just to know that God's given you an opportunity in this life to live for him and to glorify him. And I hope that you do. So I'm gonna ask you guys to stand with me. I don't know the heart behind why you do what you do. Only you. 
But what I do know is that though we might suffer some loss, and I kind of think maybe each of us will in some sense or another, we might suffer some loss. What we can know is this. In spite of any loss that we might suffer, there's a Jesus, the lamb who was slain, a friend to sinners, the king of the universe who stepped down from his throne and took on flesh so that he could die in your place so you would not suffer the ultimate loss of eternity in hell, separated from him. That's the God who loves you. That's the God who cared for you. And so I want you to know that, yes, you're gonna stand before him one day. I mean, he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And everyone in that judgment that wasn't a believer, their name wasn't in the book of life, they are cast into eternal fire, it says. There's no in-between. There's nowhere else to go. And so today, if you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that as your foundation, I literally am begging of you to like, stop thinking about whatever you're gonna do next after you leave here and give real thought to have you given your life to Christ. Have you put your faith in him? Because if not, you have nothing. You have nothing. There's no reward awaiting you of any sort. And then I, the question I would ask you is, because it's easy to say, well, are you a Christian? And many people who just go to church say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And maybe they're just church attenders. But verse 16 tells us in our passage, it says, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so I'm asking you this today. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Do you know that? Do you know if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you as a believer? If you can't answer that with all 100% assurance, then you need to seek God and ask him to move in your heart. And so today as a Christian, just give pause and think, have you sought the spirit in all that you're doing? As the non-believer, if you're here, skeptic, then question, what does it look like for the Spirit to dwell in me? So I'm gonna pray for us, then we're gonna take communion and just rejoice in the fact that there is a God who loved us enough to step down into this mess and pay the price for our sins so that we could have that ultimate reward of eternal life with him. God, thank you that we can look at your word and, and see it as a full, long story, a narrative that you've been writ writing since before time even began. And God, we can see how it all plays out. We may not know every last detail, Lord, and don't let us get lost in that, but God, give us just an understanding and a hope that we are just called to serve you and to do it well. And God, I pray that one day as we all stand before you, Jesus, that you will say, well done and good and faithful servant. But God, Help us to know the, the difference in building with good things or worthless things. And then God, I pray for those who are here that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you just move in their heart, that you will convict them of their sins. You will draw them into a relationship with you through the gospel, which is your power to save. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11 concerning communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you're a believer that I'm inviting you to come and to take communion and to celebrate all that he has done for us so that we can stand before him one day and see that our names are in that book of life.